Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. tool, of course, in every relationship of our life because there's always going to be uh, times whenever someone is offended or feelings are hurt or something takes place that requires forgiveness in all of our relationships. Forgiveness is beneficial not just to uh, the, the wrong doer but also to the wronged. It's good for both, beneficial for both. Remember the scripture, the Bible said that God's Uh, For God's own sake that he blotted out the transgressions of the people for his own sake. He blotted it out for the nation of Israel. And it's important that we don't cheapen forgiveness. Uh, Cheapening cheapening forgiveness might look like us requiring it for just little superficial things. uh, Little things that, as Colossians states, we could probably forbear uh, rather than forgive. But again, you heard my statement from last week, and I think it's a... Nice, concise little statement that if you can't forbear it, then you must forgive it. And so that's a good principle to live by. Also, the first stage of forgiveness that we got into is that place where we must acknowledge the personal pain uh, that was caused by whatever hurt entered into our life. And whenever we acknowledge that personal pain, we do so by not minimizing its impact because we talked about how people say, you know, it's no big deal, it's all right. When we do that, when we don't acknowledge that there was actually a pain, maybe because of pride, because we don't want anybody to think that we could be hurt by them, uh, whenever we do that, we, we minimize then to a certain degree in the eyes of others the need then for forgiveness, for forgiveness. And so forgiveness is then, as we looked at last week as well, it's for people. Not systems, not networks, but it's for people. And the Bible backs that up over and over again. It was given to people or nations or at least sins and transgressions that were associated with people. And if we ever come to a place where we err in blaming God as though he needs to seek our forgiveness, then what our proper response really needs to be in that moment is a spirit of repentance into the Lord because he, he doesn't make no mistakes He's not uh, being held on trials, though he needs to, uh, you know, be seeking for forgiveness from anyone. So that brings us tonight then to the second part of hurt, the second qualifier. Not only is it personal, but it is also, it is also unfair. So beyond meeting the requirement of it just being personal and it affecting you, it is also meeting the condition of being unfair. And it is unfair, Smead says it like this, when we are hurtfully wronged by a person we trusted to treat us right. When we're wrongfully hurt or hurtfully wronged rather by a person that we trusted to treat us right. The psalmist David understood this statement. He understood what it was right, like to undergo pain that was unfair. The Bible says in Psalms 55 and verses 12 through 14, these are David's words. He says, for it was not an enemy that reproached me. Then I could have borne it. It's like I could have forborne that. I could have, I could have buried with that. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. But it was thou a man mine equal, my guide, mine acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked into the house of God in company. 
David says, if it were a known enemy, an enemy that I knew that they're my enemy, that's who they are, he said, then I would have been able to bear that more easily had it been that because we, we expect certain behaviors from people that don't like us. We just expect certain behaviors from our enemy. You expect them to attack you. you have, you're, you're expecting that. Your eyes are wide open. Those type of behaviors from enemies is no surprise to you. But David says that's not the case. This, is, this came from somewhere where I didn't expect it. I didn't expect this to happen. It was someone that was my equal, my guide, my friend. We, we took counsel together. We walked to the house of God, so to speak, together. And so some of the hurts that feel the most unfair are those that we receive from people we trusted to treat us right. A, a great unfairness of a child was, was, would be to receive hurt from what he would believe to be the safety and the atmosphere of his home, particularly his parents. A man or a woman would not necessarily suspect some type of ill from their spouse because they remember the day they stood at the altar and they looked into each other's eyes and they said, I do, in sickness and health, and richer and poor, and everything was bliss. They would not at all expect that. But it's in these relationships like parent-child and husband-wife relationships when there's mistreatment that there is then a trust that's broken. And it seems like in that mode then that unfairness of this just being not right, this not equaling out, this is an uneven place, it seems to abound. Smead said this, he said, sometimes you can't know for sure whether you have been the victim of an unavoidable accident or whether you have been wrongfully wounded. And the reason why is because both hurt nonetheless. Whether it's a whether it's a unavoidable accident or whether it's somebody intentionally and wrongfully hurting you, they both hurt. Hospitals around the world can can tell us the story about sometimes there's a fine line discerning between the two. Hospitals around the world have dealt with suspicious injuries that come into their emergency rooms, broken bones, uh, perhaps uh, some, some very severe bruises on women and children that come into their facilities. They've been brought into the ER, and the explanation of those that bring them is this. It was an accident, right? But at times, uh, particularly children, the naivety of children have been persuaded to believe that whatever took place was an accident when in fact it may have been something quite deliberate deliberate assault upon them and so we have then a victim and even professionals that work in these type of things some of them as they come in sometimes are unsure what it is whether it is an unavoidable accident or whether it was something that was intentional a wrongful if you will hurt to these individuals but the fact is this whether it was accidental or whether it was purposeful the pain is still real and the pain is still felt. Sweet says, you'll walk with me tonight. I, I felt like whenever I, man, I've been wrestling around with this forgiveness stuff. I really have been. You can ask my wife. I was talking to her today at home. I said, man, I just don't know about all this. This sounds like more like your series you need to be doing, you know, and uh, so on and so forth. Uh, but, but, but for whatever reason or purpose, Sweet says, he said, I do not mean that pain is unfair only when someone means it to be unfair. Pain is unfair, look at it now, when we don't deserve it or when it's not necessary. 
So you don't have to prove that someone meant to wrong you before you can forgive them. So here's the concept, guys. Even whenever someone hurts you, another hurts an individual accidentally, for instance, you know, sometimes with kids it happens. I do it with my kids. Sometimes I hurt my kids unintentionally. You know, we're messing around and all that stuff, and we're going away, you know, me and Mariah slapping at each other, and lo and behold, I accidentally slap her in the face, you know. Leave a red mark. What do you think is the first thing that flies out my mouth? Exactly. Boom. You hit all of them. Sorry. I didn't mean to. And so we lead off, we inherently, right? We inherently lead off with an apology. I'm sorry. Why do we do that? Because, for instance, in that illustration in particular, I know that whatever I did in that moment hurt. You know, it's one thing to be slapping her arm, but whenever it hits the face, it hurt. And then, yes, we follow up with those words, I didn't mean to. It's an accident now, right? And we say, I didn't mean to, which means what? It wasn't on purpose. That's what we're trying to convey, right? It wasn't on purpose. And why do we do that? Why do we do that? I was, I've been thinking through this. and Maybe I'm totally off base. But I think sometimes the reason why we do that is that we hope that it helps the victim interpret the pain that they feel. Because whether I did it on purpose or not on purpose, the pain is still the pain. But I'm hoping if I say I didn't mean to, that that will help them interpret the pain. If, and like Brother Mason said over here, maybe even take some of the pain away. But you know what the fact of the matter is? The pain is still there. Regardless of whether I meant to or didn't mean to. And for me and Mariah, she didn't deserve it. Although it was accidental. Amen. Let, let's go a little deeper. Now, this is kind of why way out there in left field. Somebody's going to be shaking your head at me like, come on, did you have to go there? Just, just take it for a moment. Me and Mike Penrod are out in the woods. We're in the forest because we're cutting some wood for his wood-burning stove. He's got to get, you know, he's got to get, he's got to get the basement full so if the house ever catches on fire, it didn't burn down. And so, <coughs> we, <coughs> we, we're out. That was not my point. We're out in the forest, and we are cutting wood because we know winter is coming. And while we're cutting wood, Mike accidentally cuts off three of my fingers with a chainsaw. Nah. <laughs> he can look at me and say, I didn't mean to. But that doesn't remove the excruciating pain. Huh? Of the loss of those three fingers. Or whether that's physical pain, which there would be. But then my life lived without them, the emotional pain. That doesn't change any of that. Because I'm never going to get them back. He doesn't put them in a bag with ice or nothing like that. And they're lost somewhere among the mushrooms. They're going to feed the mushrooms, you know, for the next spring. It's just never going to happen. Now that seems a little bizarre. But the principle still applies. I guarantee you this, as a result of that little incident, I'm going to have to find some forgiveness in my heart for him, even though the pain that I have stemmed from an accident. He wasn't intentionally trying to make me 
go through pain. He, wasn't, he didn't wake up that morning and say, I'm going to take three of his fingers off. No. But it happened by accident, but it caused a pain that I didn't deserve. That wasn't necessary. And you know what then requires of me? I'm going to have to deal with some feelings and emotions to forgive him for pain and hurt that I'm feeling that stemmed from an accident. I bet you Mephibosheth in Scripture had to deal with the same thing. When he's just so young that his nurse is fleeing, and as she flees, the Bible says that she dropped him, and as a result of that drop, the Bible says he became lame in both feet. I guarantee you he had to deal with the same thing. But there is a, there's a flip side to all this scenario as well that I just want to take a little tangent on real quickly because I know we're focusing on forgiveness. But there's a flip side to all this as well. And that is this. We cannot get trapped into thinking we don't need to seek for forgiveness if it was an accident. If it was an accident, then is, does it really require saying I'm sorry? Because I didn't mean to. It's an accident. See, in the Old Testament, whenever I read through the Old Testament, particularly Leviticus chapter number 4, I read of sins that were intentional and sins that were unintentional. But you know what the Bible says? That of either category, whether they were intentional or unintentional, they both required sacrifice to make amends. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, basically, and I'm paraphrasing quite largely, I'm not using King James Version here, but the moment that the individual or the nation, for that matter, realized that they had done a wrong, it was unintentional, they weren't aware of it to begin with, but whenever they realized they had done a wrong, in our case, let's talk about it like this, when we realize that we've unfairly hurt somebody, it was then their responsibility to make amends for the unintentional sin or the hurt that was unfair that may have been an accident. The moment that they came to the realization of it, they were there to make amends for it. Amen. Because again, just because hurt was accidental doesn't mean then it is exempt from being unfair pain. Because again, unfair pain is pain that is not deserved. And not necessary. Think of it on this wise, that we talk about that, but what about whenever we talk about things that are deserved? You know, you have, there's, there's quite two different branches of the tree here. You know, it hurts a little boy for his mama just to bawl him out because he slapped his sister. That, that hurts. He hates to be bawled out by his mama because he slapped his sister. But it also hurts a child whenever he's screamed at by a drunken father forever having been born. Now, what you have here is two differences, two hurts. One was deserved because of what he'd done to his sister. The other was undeserved, so it's unfair because his dad's just lashing out at him in a state, talking about wishing he had never been born. And so tonight, I want to go through a few things here, and I'll try to stay mindful of, of my time. I want to consider some of the reasons some of the reasons that people hurt you or how they hurt us, all right? And I'm going to try to tie some biblical examples here because I think it's always good when we can give biblical example. Now here, this might go without saying, but it also might be hard to wrap our minds around. People hurt us because they think we deserve it. I know it would blow your mind, but there's some mafia man out there tonight about ready to take a life because he thinks the guy he's going to knock off absolutely deserves it. 
We're just being real. So people hurt us because they think we deserve it. And so whenever a person hurts another individual intentionally because they think they deserve it, they sincerely believe then what they are doing is being fair. They do. They believe what they're doing is fair. They believe that they have, they have enough on this end of the scale that can justify doing what they are doing. And so what they believe is this. They believe that a person is simply just getting what is coming to them. And that's fair. Are you okay? I'm trying to walk through here. The Bible says in the Old Testament, here is a good, I think, uh, example of people hurting because they think they deserve it. The Bible says there had been a long war between the household of David and the household of Saul. There had been a long war between them. And there was a man by the name of Abner who was the captain of the host of Saul. There was a skirmish, there was a battle, and Abner was running to flee from the servants of David that were after him during one of their little squabbles. And one was chasing him by the name of Azahel. He followed him. And this is what the Bible says in 2 Samuel 2 and verse 19. And I got a lot of scripture. And Azahel pursued after Abner. And in going, he turned not to the right nor to the left from following Abner. Then Abner looked behind him and said, Art thou as hell? And he answered, I am. And Abner said to him, Turn thee aside to thy right hand or to thy left and lay thee hold on one of the young men and take thee his armor. As hell would not turn aside from following him. And Abner said again to Azahel, turn thee aside from following me. Look at the question he poses. Wherefore should I smite thee to the ground? In other words, Abner's really not want to do anything to this boy. Abner is, is a, an experienced elder here, and he has this younger man following him. He really he said, wherefore should I smite you to the ground? He don't want it. He's trying to convince him with words. Just go chase somebody else, you know. And the Bible says how, in verse 22, how then should I hold my face to Joab thy brother? Verse 23, Howbeit he refused to turn aside, wherefore Abner with the hinder end of the spear smote him under the fifth rib, that the spear came out behind him, and he fell down there and died in the same place. And it came to pass that as many as came to the place where Azel fell down and died, stood still. Now, here's the story. A little bit later now, a little bit later, Abner becomes disgusted. He becomes disgusted at an accusation that Ishbosheth this is one of Saul's sons, had wrongfully leveraged against him. Ishbosheth, you've been sleeping with one of my concubines and all this stuff. And, and uh, Abner was like, no, I've never done that. And so he's disgusted with even that type of accusation because he's serving Saul's household. And so the Bible says that provoked Abner to switch alliances from the household of Saul to the household of David. So he goes to meet David to make an alliance with David instead. Amen. He's not going to support Ishbosheth anymore. He's going to support David. And the Bible says David does this with Abner. And then here comes along Joab, a man by the name of Joab. Joab is the captain of the host of the servants of David. And so, and, and happens to be the brother to now the deceased Azahel that Abner took out. Is everybody following the story? It's not, it's in your Bibles, all right. Samuel, read them again and again. Hallelujah. So, so he's worried, he's worried that Abner, Joab's worried that Abner came to talk to David just really through a means of deception. 
He's wanting to deceive you. He's wanting to make a false alliance, really. And he's wanting to deceive you and deceive everyone. That's what the case is. And this is what the Bible says then in 2 Samuel 3 and verse 26. That whenever Joab came telling David all this, when Joab was come out from David, he sent messengers after Abner, which brought him again from the well of Syrah. But David knew it not. So he's doing this without David knowing anything. Verse 27. And when Abner was returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him quietly and smote him there under the fifth rib that he died for the blood of Ashahel, his brother. So look now. Joab tells David, Abner's around here because he's trying to deceive all the people. Joab calls Abner back without David knowing. He kills Abner, but not for the purpose that he told David he was worried about. Not because he was thinking that Abner was here to deceive. He killed him because Abner had taken his brother as a hell, but before he ever took his brother, he had tried to persuade him, go elsewhere, leave it alone. I don't want to have to do this. Everybody follow me here for a moment. And so whenever this all happened, after Abner tried to persuade him, but took him anyway, here is Joab, because Abner in reality was a moment of self-defense, all right? But here is Joab. He's wanting to do what in this moment? He's wanting retribution. He's wanting payback. He's wanting vengeance. He's wanting revenge. He believes Abner is deserving, getting exactly what he deserves for what he had done, although what he had done was in self-defense. Amen. He was wanting to hurt somebody because he felt like they deserved to be hurt. It's exactly the same thing in the New Testament why Judas did what he did for the Lord. Evidently, Judas thought the very same thing. He thought that the Lord deserved what he got. Because the Bible tells us that it wasn't until the time of the trial, whenever Jesus was not convicted, that we see that Judas gets a different idea concerning the Lord. Matthew 27 and verse number 3. Because the trial didn't convict him. What happened was he was bound by the wishes of the people. Remember? Release one, Barabbas or Jesus. They said, give us Barabbas. Pilate saying, I find no fault with him. Herod saying, I find no fault with him. They couldn't convict him by trial, right? But they're taking him by the wishes of the people. The Bible says in Matthew 27, verse 3, Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned. See, there's a difference between being condemned and being convicted. Jesus wasn't convicted. He was condemned by the people. He, whenever Judas saw this, that he repented himself. Why? They couldn't lay a finger on Jesus' life. I put the kiss on him because I thought he deserved all of this. But whenever things are starting to culminate here at the trial, hold on. He's not being convicted. He's just being condemned. And the Bible says Judas repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the priests and the elders. And verse 4 says, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See that to it. What are you saying? Judas got caught up in a moment that he wanted to hurt the Lord because he thought he deserved being hurt. But when he realized, uh-oh, I made a mistake, it was already too late. Amen. So people will hurt you because they think you deserve to be hurt. People will hurt you because they will hurt you compulsively. Whenever I say that, and Smead says it like this, sometimes people hurt us not because they want to do us harm, but only because they cannot control themselves. 
Case in point, in the real world, there can be people strung out high on drugs in that type of vice, out of control in that area of their life. And in the moment of being in that vice, they can hurt people, their family, others around them. It can be drugs, it can be alcohol, it could be a very, that list could be so varied. What that is, is people getting hurt compulsively from people that are so tied up into addictions or tied up into other areas of life that they forget they have kids, the finances then ain't there to take care of their families. You understand how the story goes? The Bible says in Proverbs 20 and verse number one, and they'll have it up there, King James, but I like to read it to you from two other versions, uh, the New Living and the Contemporary Version. It says this, wine produces mockers and alcohol leads to brawls. Those lead astray by the drink cannot be wise. The contemporary says it like this. It isn't smart to get drunk. Drinking makes a fool of you and leads to fights. All right? Proverbs 23 and verse 21 says this. The drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty. What's that mean? That people that give in to those type of things, they're not good managers of their money. And they'll find themselves in financial straits. What does that do for their families? Their wife or their husband or their children? Well, that means the kids are, you know, trying to find something to eat because let's say Paul gambled it all away. Huh? And so they have hurt by the compulsions, the out-of-control areas of somebody else's life. And it's not only, you know, financially sometimes, there may be some even here that have suffered by the hands physically. You have been hurt by the compulsive areas of other people's life. So people hurt us because of their compulsions. People hurt us, this is probably a, a decent-sized one, but people hurt us with the spillovers of their problems. Smead says, sometimes our personal struggles, too turbulent to contain, spill over to affect innocent bystanders. We don't mean to hurt them. They just happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. You probably maybe see this type of hurt mostly happening to children from fallout of their parents. Fights within a home, whether physically or verbally, leading to the total dissolving of the home. The kids come out hurt because of the spill. It's a spillover of their parents' problem. And we see this happen, not just in our world, but even in the biblical world, where the spillover of the problems of one generation spills over into the next generation as hurt for them that they didn't deserve, that wasn't necessary, but it's theirs to contend with, and it's theirs to forgive their parents then for being a victim of. The Bible says in the Old Testament, it speaks of the man Eli who was a priest. He's a priest. He's the one that Samuel came and was a, you know, an understudy of. Here's Eli the priest. But the Bible plainly tells us that Eli is a priest and with his own children, he did not respect the sacrifices and the offerings that God had prescribed. And as a result of this, the Bible even says, and the Lord calls him on it, that you have honored your sons above me. You've honored your sons above me. Because you didn't correct them whenever they mishandled the sacrifices, the offerings. And so this is the story then of Eli. The Bible tells us then the descendants of Eli would hurt, if you will, 
be hurt unfairly from the spillover of his problem. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 2 and verse 31, Behold, this is the word, Steli. Behold, the days come that I will cut off thine arm and the arm of thy father's house, and there shall not be an old man in thine house. He says it in verse 32, and there shall not be an old man in thy house forever. In verse 33, he gives more explanation. And all the increase of thy house shall die in the flower of their age. In other words, when they're yet young. Because of what you've done, your problem, the spillover hurt and effect is it's going to affect the next generation that they're not going to live as long as they would have lived had it not been for your antics. What is that? That's a hurt that's unfair, not deserved, spilling over into another generation because of man's mistakes. For that matter, consider again good old Joab, you know, that took out Abner. Consider that character just from earlier. Because of his deed, his descendants suffered as a result of his problem because he thought it was justifiable. Second Samuel 3 and verse number 29, look at it. Here it comes to Joab now. Let it rest on the head of Joab and on all his father's house. Let there not fail from the house of Joab one that hath an issue or that is a leper, or that leaneth on a staff, or that falleth on the sword, or that lack of bread. Whew. So they could have somebody coming up in his descendants. They got leprosy over them. And it's not because they, hang, they hanged out or they hung out at the leper colony. It's because it's the spillover effect of the one before them's problem. And so you see, those are hard things to contend with. To deal with a problem that was never yours to begin with, but it's been made yours. I don't, I mean, just to be honest with you, I hate having to deal with other people's problems. Okay? Just in a real human nature type of way. I mean, that, you know, we all have our own situations. To, so be able to handle it. And so to something be handed to you that you didn't have a dog in the fight of, but the hurt has impacted you, and now you've got to be the one to be the forgiving one. Yet it's necessary in order to heal and necessary in order to go on. None of Joab's descendants necessarily did anything wrong. They didn't deserve it. It's just a spillover. So people hurt us sometimes because of the spillover of our own problems. People hurt us with their good intentions. Yeah. People hurt us with their good intentions. Smeed said it like this. Sometimes people hurt us even when they mean to do us good, huh. no matter how, what they do to help us turns out to hurt us. Have you ever had something like that? Let me give you, I, I was having so fun thinking of these fictitious things I could share with you. But have you ever had someone, quote unquote, help you? <laughs> Only to make the matter they were trying to help you with worse. You know, I mean, it just started out, Bishop, it just started out as a simple replacing the brake pads. But by the time you got done, you needed a couple new calipers and a brake line. <laughs> or, or, you know, it's some, maybe some lady that's going to help you pull weeds out of your garden. And you ended up needing to replant maybe a whole row because they didn't realize that was weeds. <clears throat> Had good intentions. It's going to help. They just wanted to help. <laughs> but it hurt you. Biblical account of this is in the Old Testament as well. 
Rehoboam, the Bible says. He's the son of Solomon. He has come into that placement of king, the king of the whole nation of Israel. Amen. And so he's listening to some voices. He's listening to some young men. He's listening to some older men. They're giving him counsel about what he needs to do. Because Jeroboam has come with a group of people from up north. And he says, uh, you know, king, it would be really well if you could somehow lighten our tax burden. You know, do that and that would be great. And we'll follow your command and so on and so forth. And Rehoboam said, give me three days. Give me three days to consider this situation, to make a decision. And the Bible says in 1 Kings 12 and verse number 12, so Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day as the king had appointed, saying, come to me again the third day, verse 13. And the king answered the people roughly and forsook the old men's counsel that they gave him and spake to them after the counsel, the young men, saying, my father made your yoke heavy, and I will add to your yoke. My father also chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. Now, on the surface, these young men that were advising him were just trying to help. They were just trying to help. Their good intentions were just trying to help. They were probably, in reality, I'm thinking, trying to get in their shoes, I'm thinking they were probably, you know, telling Rehoboam, you just need to keep a firm hand, you know. You're a new king. You need to keep a firm hand so that they all know, you know, who's, who's king and who's in control. They're just trying to help. But as a result, of, it's in that moment of time that the, the, the nation of Israel gets split now into two kingdoms, ten northern tribes and two southern tribes, and Rehoboam is left with the two. <laughs> he's left with the two. He had 12, but now he's left with two because someone was trying to help him. Had good intentions, but it ended up being hurt for him. This goes without saying, I don't really have to go through a Bible story of, of how people can hurt us, but people sometimes hurt us because of their own mistakes. All right? That's very similar to the spillover, but they hurt us because of their own mistakes. But in all of this tonight, this is the simple fact. In all of these ways, in all these reasons that people can hurt us, it's important to understand this, the takeaway really for this evening, it's important to understand this. <clears throat> that unfairness then, because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about hurt that's personal, hurt that's unfair. Unfairness then is not determined by the intentions of the one who caused the hurt. They could have the best intentions. It could have been an accident. It's not, unfairness is not by the intentions, not determined by the intentions of the one that caused the hurt but by the experience of the one that received the hurt. Amen. Because many people do what we consider sometimes, that's horrific or that, that's hurtful. They do those things because they believe they have the right to do those things. They do those things because they believe it's reasonable to do those things. And for some, their purpose is not to be hurtful, but the result is it's not that they go in doing that, but the result is hurtful. So what that comes down to us is this. If we need to forgive people only when they mean to hurt us unfairly, that's the only time that we need to forgive people, then we may never need to forgive anybody on earth if it's only when they mean to be hurtful. Because most people, there are a few, don't set out just to be hurtful. Even in their minds, as twisted as it may be, they think they're helping. They think you deserve it. They think you're doing you a favor, teaching you a lesson. So in reality, if people are careless and they hurt us, 
You know, sometimes the hurt feels even more pronounced whenever and more unfair whenever it's been careless hurt. Because her careless hurt means they didn't even take me in regard along the journey. It's like being hurt, a pointless hurt. Why did that happen? So the bottom line is this. If we feel an unfair hurt has come to us, we need to forgive. And here's the reason why. It was an accident. They didn't mean to. They had good intentions. But you got hurt. You didn't deserve it. It wasn't necessary. You need to forgive. I didn't have a dog in this. You're telling me I'm the one to forgive. Yes, you need to forgive. Why? Because if you don't, forgiveness is doing this for you. It's helping prevent ill feelings from turning into hate. Possibly even bitterness. That in spite of their intentions, in spite of their purpose, if it felt unfair, if it seemed unfair to you, then you got to forgive and release yourself from being infected by hurt or by bitterness or by pain. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, and I won't hold you much longer, I'm doing good. The Bible says, and grieve, look at this now, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Now, you could look above verse 30, but after verse 30 is my concentration right here. One of the ways in which you can grieve the Holy Spirit of God is by allowing bitterness to develop into your life and come into the full bloom because there's a process really in verse 31. That is a process that's being described. It starts with bitterness and it ends with malice. And the steps along the journey is bitterness leads to wrath. And wrath leads to anger. Anger leads to clamor. Clamor leads, leads to evil speaking. And then the finish line is malice. And you grieve the Holy Ghost. You grieve the Spirit of God when you allow bitterness to develop into your life and come full-blown into maturity into malice. The Greeks defined the, Greeks defined the Greek word for bitterness as a long-standing resentment. Or as the spirit which refuses to be reconciled. It's a word that means pointed or sharp. Which that refers then to the way that we feel whenever we've been mistreated. It was kind of sharp. Pointed. And so then from bitterness, if it's not attended to, will develop into wrath. It means to snort. We're not talking about the laugh snort. It, it means to snort. It's real, what it's relating to, what happens when a person snorts? The nostrils flare. <laughs> the nostrils flare out. And what also, when do your nostrils flare out? When you're upset. Mm-hmm. The eyes get all wide-eyed and the nostrils flare out. Not only is it that, but it's referring to a word that was used whenever straw was burned. Because whenever you lay a match to straw, if it's good and dry, it's going to burn up quick. It happens. True? We've given enough straw over to the fire department, I know. It's going to burn up 
quick, but it's like quick and over. Right? It's like, woof. When bitterness goes prolonged, you have one of those <laughs> moments. Woof. Wrath. It moves into wrath. But whenever you go from wrath, if you don't take care of it there, then those bouts of wrath may lead to anger. And see, anger is, is not the woof. It's a long, settled, smoldering burn. It comes into being almost a condition of the heart. It becomes habitual. It becomes seething. It's, it's, it's the coals. It's constantly there after the night has gone and there's no more fire, but it's hot. I don't know how many times I've had uh, my fire pit. Man, I've had a good fire. Man, that night, great. Went to bed. You know, it, the fire was out, but got up the next morning, and there's, I put my hand over that, and it's like, whew, I could throw something on that right now, and it'd probably start back up because it's seethed and smoldered all night. Matter of fact, it probably wouldn't matter what I threw on it. It would probably ignite. <laughs> you understand what I'm talking about? So when we allow bitterness to get there, then wrath comes, but then you get to the anger moment. Then even those superficial things you could have forbore now, combustion, boom. Mm-hmm. Amen. And so, so then, though, you go from anger, then you go to the next process of clamor. Clamor is this, the raised voice. That's basically what it is. A raised voice. All forms of verbal and physical intimidation. Anger goes, what? Clamor, amen, begins to get in place. Then there's evil speaking. Evil speaking comes from the Greek word blasphemia, which basically means this, to speak to harm. That's your purpose for speaking, to harm. Matter of fact, uh, if you were used the same word toward God, it would be called blaspheme. It's to speak to harm. And then lastly, you culminate this finish line. If you, it's left undone, if the forgiveness doesn't happen, all this is brewing and stewing, then you'll lastly come to malice. And I share with you, then I liked what, what Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones said about this. He said this. He said, malice means wicked desires with respect to others. A determination to harm others. Again, a kind of settled spirit which so hates others that it thinks of ways of harming them, plots such ways, gloats over such ways, and then proceeds to put them into practice. Oh, Brother McGee, yay and amen. Whenever you, you start to check yourself, whether it be accidental or purposeful hurt that's come to you, however way it's come, if you don't allow yourself to forgive that, you may find yourself in a situation where you rejoice when negativity happens to that person and it's almost like a smile inside. No, but yeah, that you would really take comfort in somebody else's discomfort. So the cure, though, the cure to the process of bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and malice, the cure to that developing and maturing into malice, the cure to all of that, the cure to grieving the Holy Spirit, the cure to all of it is to have a spirit of forgiveness. Because the fact of the matter is, folks, whenever someone really gets what you think is coming to them, and I've said this before, it could be as bad as you're standing now at their casket. It will not feel near as good as you think it should have felt. <laughs> 
Stand with me tonight. We will endeavor next Wednesday. We'll try real hard. We'll talk about the other third criteria qualification of the hurt factor, which is it being deep. And hopefully we can get, and this sounds weird to say it, but hopefully we can get over into the hatred portion, okay? Over into the hate. And listen tonight, uh, I hope this is helping somebody. This is kind of a little bit outside of my normal fare, but for whatever reason, I felt like for this four weeks that I need to talk about this. Can we bow our heads here tonight? Can we talk to the Lord that the Lord would help us here this evening? Because I guarantee you there are probably people sitting among us even tonight that have sustained hurts from others, the spillover of their problems, from compulsions of other people's lives, from just because someone desired to do so, all those different segments. They didn't deserve it. It wasn't necessary for them, but now they're holding the bag of unfair pain, and they got to make a decision of whether or not to hold that against a person or to release it through a spirit of forgiveness. God, I pray, O oh Lord, tonight, God, that you're able to move upon each and every individual under the sound of my voice. Master, I pray, O oh God, today you know the ins and the outs of every individual's life. God, if it's not been something within the past few weeks, God, it could be something that stems all the way from their childhood. God, it could stem all the way, God, from the moment of time that they were children within their own homes. God, there could be unresolved, unfair, Lord, undeserved, Lord Jesus, hurt. God, that they may be contending with. God, there may be people, Lord, that's not even alive anymore, God, that have hurt them. And, Lord, they are still holding a handle, God, on something, God, that they need to release, Lord, through a spirit of forgiveness. God, bitterness and wrath and anger. God, there could be some reasons why that they react that they way, the way that they react in their present day. And it might stem from the fact that they have unresolved things, unresolved hurts, unresolved infractions. God, that causes them to be on edge and lash out at the people very easily because they've allowed something to move from bitterness to, to Lord, to, to, to wrath and, and to that, to anger, to clamor. They've allowed it to process. I'm asking God that you are that healing balm of Gilead. And it doesn't matter how long, how long ago that's been. Lord, it doesn't even matter how deep it's been and whether it's been, Lord, accidental or purposefully. God, there is, Lord, a power in forgiveness, Lord, that can bring healing, Lord Jesus, to a soul. God, that their physical body may have already been healed, Lord, from whatever has happened, but there's some emotions. There's some emotions, God, I pray, oh, Lord, that only your hand can reach and only your spirit can go. Holy Spirit, I'm asking God for your presence. God, we don't want to grieve your spirit by holding on to these things. We don't want to grieve your spirit, God, for having, Lord, the eyes, Lord, looking down our nose, just waiting for the day that things come full circle upon those that have victimized, Lord Jesus, God, us in our lives. I pray, oh, Lord, today, heal us, Father. Can we raise our hands across this building right now? Can we raise our hands across this building right now? God, it's been personal. It's been unfair, God, for some. I pray, oh Lord, you're the healer, God. Lord, we can forgive, God, even as you have forgiven us. I pray, oh God, today. Hallelujah, hallelujah.
Hallelujah. God, to be kind and tenderhearted. I pray, oh Lord, forgiving one another, oh God. Brother Mason, can we just sing just a little bit of something right here? I feel the sweet spirit of the Lord. I feel the sweet spirit of the Lord. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.